One of the things that I have received the most feedback on that people have been helpful is to actually include people, queer people in your queer events. So when you have a fireside talking about these difficult issues and um, or a lesson about talking about these difficult issues, more often than not, it's usually led by straight cisgender people carrying on the conversation about queer people. And in order to be queer inclusive, you can actually include queer people, have queer adults and queer kids bear their testimonies, share their ideas of the scriptures and what they're thinking about. So the first step is to be queer inclusive. Just invite us to the conversation to be a part of it because it's not just talking about us, it's talking with us. Glad to share this episode of the Cultural Hall. I had a great visit uh, online yesterday, as a matter of fact, with Blair Osler, who was quoted in my sacrament meeting, as a matter of fact. In fact, it was a quote from this book that we talk about. Now, I know there will be some of you that will say, didn't you have uh, Blair on like less than six months ago? Yes, but she took me up on the offer to come back and tell me about her book, which is great. Also, I think that it is one of those breaking barriers, breaking boundaries kind of thing. And I know this won't be for everyone. But I also give you the opportunity to guide and program the show. So if you aren't getting the kind of episodes that you would like here in the Cultural Hall, I'm going to put a little bit of that on you. You can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, and you can even say, you know, I would recommend that you give us actual ideas of episodes that you would like, but you can say things like, hey, you know what, this subject matter, whatever that subject matter might be, I'd really like something different. You can do that as well feedback always open. I never close the email inbox. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you about this episode. I want to hear from you about all of our episodes, and I want you to hear this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, She's back for a second time. Not everyone takes me up on the offer when I say, hey, when that book comes out, why don't you come back and talk to us about it? She did. You'll recognize her, uh, especially if you... uh if you are a Patreon subscriber of the Cultural Hall, you'll you'll recognize that it's a new backdrop. This one Disney themed, vintage Disney themed. It's Blair Osler. Uh, you can go back and listen to episode 487, uh, which talks all about her. We're not going to really get too much into her. More about her new book, Queer Mormon Theology, which I, and I I don't want to downplay the impact of this book by saying the cover is gorgeous, but also the cover of this book is gorgeous. Let's start there and then dive into it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thanks for mu- so much for uh, having me on a second time. Of course, um, I, of course. Had, I had so much fun last time. I'm like, can I get more Richie up in here? Seriously. <laughs> Um, no, but you're right. Queer Mormon theology, the cover is absolutely stunning. And this is the brilliant work of Christian Harrison over at BCC Press um, and the Rainbow Beehive we co-designed together. There, we, I actually talk about it in the afterword of the book. And um, basically is this uh, what I consider to be a beautiful mixing of all things Mormon and all things queer. And so it's more than just a trendy take. It really is the reconciliation of two seemingly oppositional identities just into one beautiful symbol. It, it's it's cool to be able to see some of these things um, be, being, like you said, sort of mix and match. I think also of uh, the beautiful cover of Taylor Petrie's Tabernacles of Clay, where you see the Salt Lake Temple and it's sort of washed with a rainbow as well. 
I, I know for many, they just go, oh, okay, they put a rainbow over the temple or, or over a beehive or whatever. But, but for others, I think that they really start to be able to kind of see themselves within the church a little bit more because it, it is a mixing of, of uh, you know, the rainbow, something that they feel maybe sort of identifies them a little bit, and a, a, a symbol from within the church that they also feel like identifies them. Exactly. So often in the queer Mormon community, we have, um, oh, and just for your listeners, anybody who doesn't know me, I'm bisexual and intersex and non-binary. I just go with queer because it encompasses my biology, my gender, my orientation. So queer is a good word for me. But um, as I was saying, the theme of the book very much is to be able to blend these things, not just because like, oh, see how great this is, it's because queer Mormons so often are asked to give up one of these identities. Mm. You either go to the queer community and forsake your Mormon community, or you go to your Mormon community and you forsake your queer community. And um, it's this kind of like stressor, this kind of um, ripping and pulling that really can uh, have physical harmful effects on the queer Mormon community. And so I really wanted to have this symbol that says, here's the vision of what it could be. Mm-hmm. And that may not be right now, there's still a lot of trauma and things happening right now, but this is what it could be, you guys. Is it interesting to you how uh, the, the various groups, both the queer group and the church group, almost kind of say, come on, Blair, knock it off. We're good if we can just keep these solitary silos. And I, I think very much this is true on both sides, right? That it's like, it's easier if we just this, or this, this middle thing that you're trying to do, come on, come on. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Um, I definitely get um, feedback from both ends of the spectrum. That is the most delicate way I've ever heard that put before. <laughs> I get so, some feedback. <laughs> feedback. Um, no, and, and I actually, I do kind of sympathize with both sides a little bit in the sense that um, some people's uh, experience with Mormonism or the Latter-day Saint community is so deeply ingrained in this um, heterosexual cisgender binary and this patriarchal authority that if you show anything beyond that, they see it as a direct threat to their faith and to their identity, and that's not what Mormon is, and you can't do that. Um, and then on the other side, you have the some people who don't see anything inherently good in Mormonism or anything inherently queer and that there will never be room for us in the church. And the best thing to do is to just burn the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And I understand that experience too, because like I very much had my own struggles in the pews of feeling like, oh, there really isn't room for me here. Oh, they really are trying to kick me out. Oh, panic attacks. Oh, suicide ideation. Mm. This is awful. You know, so I really do sympathize with both sides. And that is what this book does. This book is unapologetically Mormon and unapologetically queer. It is both. And so for people who want to, uh, dispute that there's like there's literally a footnote like every other sentence of a citation to a scripture <laughs> and so it very is rooted deeply in our scriptures and deeply in mormonism so it's it's going to be a little harder for people to just casually dismiss because it's your scriptures yeah yeah and the first of its kind as i understand it yes it is there hasn't been any kind of book out here like this yet um the closest thing we have to it is uh, taylor petrie wrote a beautiful essay printed in dialogue 
dialogue. If you aren't reading dialogue, go read dialogue. It's called Toward a Post-Heterosexual Theology. And I read that essay a few years ago and I was like, oh my gosh, this needs to be a book. (laughs) (laughs) And then Taylor wrote Tabernacles of Clay. And I think it was in the introduction, he said this sentence like, I do not argue a compatibility between Mormonism and the queer community. And I'm like, oh, 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 I'll make that argument for you, Taylor. (laughs) Enter my book. (laughs) It's so fun to uh, know that there is continued thought and discussion around these things. Something that, you know, if we're we're really going to be a, a loving and Christian community, we need to do that. We need to be able to to hold space um, for those individuals to be able to have conversations. And, and you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, that for many people this is so difficult. This this does just run counter to what they think the church should be. But as you also know, you know, queer people aren't going away. And they, as, as recently as just this last week, I think it was, uh, where it talked about how, uh, you know, one in five um, millennials or or Z millennials or whatever whatever that label of the really younger folks are identify as something that isn't heterosexual. This is something that will be seemingly more and more within the church, or at very least, what it is in the church. So it's something we have to continue to have conversations about. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the model we're working with right now just simply isn't a sustainable model. The entrenchment and rigidity, there's no flexibility. It's just ultimately not a stain, sustainable for um, the way the population is growing and developing and changing. And it's not just like external worldly factors. It's people inside the pews. Mm -hmm. It's people being, you know, I I say queer people are being born into the church every day. And, um, you know, the church has already condemned conversion therapy and made huge steps towards, you know, to try and stop hurting queer people, which is phenomenal considering BYU had its own conversion therapy practices that, you know, people went into and were essentially physically abused Mm -hmm. in a weirdly consensual, non-consensual kind of way. But um, the model we're working with just isn't sustainable because people are looking around the pews and going, well, I want my queer loved ones in heaven with me and compulsory heterosexuality or celibacy just isn't quite working for everyone. Um, And you see it it, with the younger generations too. So I think it's millennials were like at like 16% and then Gen Z is like pushing like 20% of the population identifying as something non-hetero, non-cis. And um, I think it's absolutely beautiful and absolutely wonderful that we're creating spaces where people can embrace parts of themselves that they had to hide and they had to um, have shame and fear about. And I was one of those kids, you know, I grew up, I'm a lifelong Latter-day Saint and member. And I grew up thinking that there was something inherently broken about me. Mm. And I was essentially taught that, um, you know, queerness was a threat to families. Mm. And so by the time I, you know, grew up, got married, started having children of my own, that if queerness was a threat to families, I was a threat to my family. Mm. And I was the thing that needed to be removed from my family. And it got really dark for a while there of trying to just entangle all these things I was taught about myself, but how to like function in the Mormon community or Latter-day Saint community. There just didn't seem to be a way to make this work. And the funny thing is, is that 
through writing this book, I can't see Mormonism as anything but queer now. I'm like, oh, that's queer. Oh, that's queer. Oh, that's queer. And I guess I should clarify for the listeners too, um, for people who aren't familiar with the term queer. Mm -hmm. um, I use the term queer throughout the book a lot and I use it three different ways. Um, one, just as an umbrella term for everyone in the LGBTQIA2P plus yep. community. Yep. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the alphabet mafia we just keep adding letters yeah. don't we and y'all can't keep up um no so i just use queer for the queer community i also use queer as a self-identifier for me i just use the label queer because it affords me a certain amount of ambiguity and it also a little bit of privacy but also letting you know hey it's non-hetero it's not cis it's just queer um, and then the third way I use it is the way it was actually originally used is something odd or peculiar. Yeah. And that is perfect for Mormonism because we pride ourselves on being a peculiar people. And in the scriptures, we read about God's people being a peculiar people. And so um, I play up the word queer and, replay, and replace it with peculiar in a lot of different ways to just kind of show how odd and strange things are that we believe, but yet we don't want to look at it in a queer way. You know, mm. when you believe something your entire life and you've never questioned it and you're just like, that's not weird. Well, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so I, I want to uh, go back to something you said a little bit ago, because um, so, some people will say the rigidity is the strength of the church or the promise that we sort of make. Right. That, of course, in the last days, Blair, as we know, there will be this this smaller group of of folks who, you know, we're tried and true. It's it's the way that it's been is the way that it will be is that, you know, that that sort of line of thinking. I, I wonder how you address that in relation to this. Absolutely. No, I think that's great. I don't know if I would necessarily say that the rigidity is the strength of the church, but to reconsider, I think it's the loyalty and I think it's the immersiveness of the church that so, uh, does that. So and I think that has... A yeah. I, I want to push, though, because you know that there are yeah. the people that are like, we have done this this way, and we'll, we'll always do this way. We don't change. And then everyone goes, I mean, I mean, we've changed a bunch of stuff. But they really feel like changing, especially in the realm of queer, using your term to include the all, 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 the, all the letters of the, what did you call it? I really appreciated that. The alphabet mafia. That's what We're out yeah. to get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the letters of the alphabet mafia, like there, there is very much for folks because it's that uncomfortable. If we can just couch it in the, that may never be a thing. We we well, can just oh, sort of push yeah. forward with it. So I yes, I would argue the strength of the church is not the rigidity. But if you are going to argue, make that argument. Let's say it is the rigidity. I would say that's also a false argument because all these things have changed. Mm -hmm. Things we've listed. I mean, the earthly practice of polygamy. Um, we have. Uh, interracial marriage, entering black people entering the temple, black people being ordained. We've also changed and stopped teaching that indigenous people are going to be white in the celestial kingdom. I right. mean, we've forsaken all sorts of uh, harmful teachings and things like that. So if you want to argue the rigidity, okay, fine, but let's look at what that rigidity is. Let's right. take a look. Let's take a deep dive into the scriptures and see what these scriptures are actually saying. And maybe we're misinterpreting the rigidity because the rigidity actually comes from the first and second greatest commandment that cannot be conflicted with anything else is Jesus Christ said to love God and to love each other, each other. And I actually to have a whole section devoted to obedience to God's laws and to be very rigid in what that means mm. and to reevaluate 
constantly, how are we loving each other? How are we loving God? And what does this look like? Because maybe we got it wrong before. So if rigidity means I'm not open to learning new things, uh, or I'm not open to seeing new things, well, you just cut off continuing revelation, which is also another really important tenet of Mormonism. That's the beauty of some of the things we do in the Latter-day Saint tradition, right? We have continuing revelation, we have a living, breathing gospel, we have a prophet, we have all these wonderful things to help guide us on our way. So sure, there are some things maybe to be rigid to and to stick to and to have loyalty to, but at the same time, that doesn't mean the work is done. That doesn't mean the work is over. That's not going to mean that we don't don't learn new things line upon line precept on precept this is this is this is an eternal progression kind of things we're eternally changing there's constant change throughout here so sure we can talk about what to be rigid to rigid to or loyal to but at the same time mormonism has such a strong tradition of change that um i think it might be a little naive to think that you know god's laws never change or at the very least our perceptions of god's laws change I, I appreciate that response because I can tell someone has pushed back on that before. <laughs> you were like, oh, and yeah. here, oh, no, and no, there, no. and this, and over here. So, so then, <laughs> let, so then, let's push it on the other side because I think that there is a, a, a group of people that are like, yeah, we're waiting. We feel like it's mm-hmm. going to change. We, we, all right, anytime. And to those people that yeah. are maybe uncomfortable with it or feel counter to that, when those two groups that were like, hey hanging out and waiting for the change and we're not ever going to change. I mean, oil and water get together and that's where we have some of the strife within the church. Absolutely. So here's the tricky part. Um, The church talks about being a global church Mm -hmm. and to a certain extent, it is a global church and growth outside the U.S. is stronger than inside the U.S. right now. And so the church is developing in countries to where it's still illegal to be homosexual, to practice homosexuality. I mean, people can still be physically beaten and imprisoned for being gay or trans. So when you are talking about a global church trying to reconcile global crises, I do have some sympathy for the church to be like, okay, but if we make this legal, there are places in Africa where this is counter to their actual laws. Um, So that's something to be aware of. However, I would never, ever encourage a queer person who is not safe, not healthy or experiencing harm in the church to just stick around and wait for it to happen. No, 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 no. I, I am a big, big time encourager of queer people finding the safest path to worship in. That may be in the church. That may not be in the church. That needs to be wherever, you know, the individual thinks that they're going to have the safest, fruitful, and spiritual experiences. And that may not be in the church at this time. Um, so I do have sympathy that the church is trying to, like, balance a lot of different things, even if they did have good intentions to be like, look, we want revelation to happen. But as you know, um, we're a global church and not everybody is on the same page as the U.S. at this time. And at the same time, I'm like, queer people, you don't have to wait around for people to respect yourself or respect you before you respect yourself. So 
I, I don't encourage people to just wait around. Of course, we have scriptures that tell us not to do that either, right? In Doctrine and Covenants, we read that um, we are to seek after good things and to bring to pass righteousness of our own volition to go out and do these things. And we are even warned that if we don't do these things, we are unwise and slothful servants. And so to bring to pass righteousness, that's going to take a lot of different forms. And that may happen in the pews. That may not happen in the pews. Go do righteous things and put good things into the world and let that be the guide to your spiritual journey, not necessarily whether or not some institution finally comes around to respecting your identity, autonomy, and personhood. Let's take a break. We'll come back in the second block and continue this discussion. We'll do that in just a minute. A busy full summer from Best DJ in Utah. Go to bestdjinutah.com. Why, that is me, Richie T, and I would love to be able to play music at your upcoming wedding or maybe you're having a company party, or maybe you're thinking already for the holiday party, whatever it is that's on your schedule, you should get the number one highest rated DJ for the state of Utah. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't even live in Utah, Richie. Would you ever do an event in Washington State? Oh, I've already done that before. Would you ever do an event in California? Been there too. How about Louisiana? Uh Uh-huh. Texas? Yes. Point is, uh, you know, you, you throw shekels my way. I'll come to wherever you're at. We could even combine it and make it an episode of the cultural hall mind blown if you are in need of a dj at all or someone in your families get married would like to be able to talk to me i would love to be able to talk to them it's best dj in utah.com hi friends dan the laptop man here from pc laptops i get a lot of emails with feedback from customers here's one dear dan i just had the best experience ever i bought a computer from shane at your state street store I asked several what I thought were really stupid questions. Shane was super courteous and made me feel comfortable through the whole process. People need to understand how important it is to support a local company, especially when your experience is so good. PC Laptops really does love me. Signed, satisfied. I love hearing feedback like that. It really just gives me the chills. It's the whole reason why I got into the computer business in the first place. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop for as low as $7.99, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. That means if anything goes wrong, we're going to take care of you. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we really do love you. It's time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. Uh, I teased the Disneyland posters in the back. You need to become a Patreon subscriber. That is the only way that you can see the videos of each of these episodes. It's a classic uh, Epcot Center, it looks like. And uh, I want to say... The land? Yeah, what's the land? The land. Oh, it's a ride in Epcot, and it's totally niche, and only the diehards love it. And I'm one of the diehards who loves it. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, and just cultural tour it's cool oh a a few words that have never really been put together it's an agricultural tour and it's cool uh point is you got to go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall become that patreon subscriber so you can see the great video of this episode blair uh you mentioned that every other line there's a sub there's a sub note what uh, footnote there's research there's that seems like a lot of work can i just read your book (laughs) Yes, you can. Absolutely. Um, The reason there are so many footnotes, though, is because um, a lot of these things need to be revisited in new ways and new understandings. And I wanted to, the thesis of the book really is, 
Mormon theology is inherently queer. I even say in the book that saying queer Mormon theology is redundant because I'm just telling you Mormon theology. I just have to put queer in front of it because you're not used to seeing it that way yet. Mm -hmm. But um, it very much needs all the footnotes just for the people who are like, where's the scripture reference for that? She can't just say that. Well, there it is right there in your scriptures. Revisit it. Maybe see if it's trying to tell you something that you weren't reading before. And we've given a pretty good description of what the cover looks like, but hearing that, you know, there's a footnote on every other line and all that, people may have envisioned in their mind, you know, this great dictionary size book where the hardbound leather and we have two hands to be able to peel it so that each page full of footnotes, not, it looks like you could probably polish that off on a really nice shady afternoon. Absolutely. So this is one of the big accessibility was very, very important to me to while it's academic and while it's referenced and while it has um, a lot of big ideas in it, I wanted each page to just be packed with punch. So it's like a brisk 130 pages. You could really read this in an afternoon if you wanted to. And so it's solid, it's academically founded, but after each principle, I give a personal experience and I talk about my own journey and how I came to see it as queer and how my testimony was formed and founded on these very queer Mormon ideals. So really you don't have to have a Harvard Divinity PhD <laughs> to enjoy this book. Um, it's small, it's light, um, but that doesn't mean it lacks depth either. Right, right. Who is it really for? Is it for the queer person seeking a home? Is it for the individual that isn't necessarily queer, except by their Mormonism, they would be queer, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So we'll just say the hetero cis person within the church looking to find greater insight. Who, who do you feel like it's really geared toward? I started writing it for the queer community but as I was going through it and in the process, I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't for the queer community. This is for anyone who subscribes to Mormon theology. Hmm. Literally anyone in our tradition can pick up this book and be like, shockingly, it's not just how do queer people fit in Mormon theology? That's part of it. But really it's also our theology is already inherently queer and there's room for everyone. I talk about um, people who want to be monogamous and don't want to practice polygamy in the highest degree of celestial glory. Mm -hmm. I talk about single people. I talk about LGBTQ people, of course, but there's a wide variance of um, people who this can apply to. It's not just for queer people, although it is for queer people in the sense that we don't do a very good job of ministering to queer people, mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to, to put it delicately. Um, so this is a ministry for queer people, but it's more just queer inclusive rather than queer exclusive. This is just for the queer community. This is for anyone who's like, yeah, I believe the church is true and I'm interested in learning more. Yeah, this book is for you. This book is not for anyone who thinks they already have all the answers. Hmm. If you think you have all the answers and your cup's already full, this book is not for you. This book is for people seeking more light and knowledge. Well, then my wife would tell you that I don't need this book because clearly I think I have all the answers and I'm always, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I love the idea behind this and I am curious to know, you know, it's been out for a while, a while-ish. 
You've had the opportunity, I know, to have some some um, great friends of uh, the Cultural Hall have shared some you know comments about it. Gregory Prince. You've also got Lindsay Hanson Park, who wrote some of the forewords or uh, original reviews of these things. How is it being received on a, a wider scale? And and I know that you're going to tell me the positive, but I also would be curious to know some of the pushback. Absolutely. Um, so I will say yes the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And the two groups that have been most supportive, I would say is the trans non-binary intersex community, because a lot of times, even in LGBTQ Mormon books, these are the groups that are always left out and they're not heard, they're not seen or reflected in the theology. And a lot of my personal experiences about that are in there too. So there's been a lot of good feedback there, which has been, you know, very touching to my heart. Um, The other positive feedback has mostly come from very active temple recommend going Latter-day Saints who have been praying for a way to see this to work. They usually have a loved one who's LGBTQ or have just been wrestling with the issues and be like, something's not sitting right with me. They are like, oh my gosh, this is what it, this is what it could be. This is how it could fit. Um, and that's been really rewarding. Uh, there has been a small portion of negative feedback, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And um, some of it, I'm not super uh, taking seriously. And some of it, I do take very seriously. The- I, w- I would imagine that those kind of come in, in, in the portion of like the people that are like, why don't you just get out of the church? And those people we just sort of discount. But I would imagine because as you said, this sort of, tra- uh, you know, traipses in with an academic bent that there are some people that are like, Blair, nope, that's not, you know, from a very academic or religious studies kind of way, that, that's not what that's intended. That couldn't be the research. This is it. I want to hear about that sort of pushback. Absolutely. So the pushback as far as academically, some people might argue it's difficult to put in a specific genre mm. because this is an academic book, but it's extremely accessible. At one minute, you'll be reading about um, theology and the next minute, you'll be, I'll be bearing my testimony of my personal experience. So mm. it's academic, it's pastoral, it's memoir, it's a lot of different things put together. And um, for some people, that's like, it's not real academia. Mm. And it's like, okay, I I actually don't care if you classify it as real academia or not. I'm more interested in, you know, speaking through the spirit and changing hearts and minds. So if you want to consider that academia or pastoral or whatever, I really don't care what label you put on it because um, it's, it's effective. And I'm definitely a pragmatist than I am a purist of anything. I'm like, if it works, keep doing it. There is this story about Joseph Smith when the women were giving healing blessings at the early formations of the church. And some of the patriarchs and men came over to Joseph and like, Hey, Joseph, the women are over there giving sealing or sorry, giving uh, blessings of healing and things like that. And Joseph Smith asked him and he was like, well, is it working? And the men were like, well, yeah, it seems to be working. And Joseph Smith said, well, then keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's very much my philosophy is like, is this working? Well, then keep doing it. Put whatever label you want to put on it. Um, So I'm more interested in being practical and effective than I am worrying about, is this, you know, 
real theology, Blair. I'm not interested in preserving the ivory tower of academia at the expense of harming people uh, who could benefit from these very important lived experiences. The other feedback, uh, some people are like, I do take a very death to the author approach. And I do take a very much literal reading of text. And I do that specifically because I am looking to um, speak to your most ardent literal believer who is like, no, the King James version of the Bible is the most correct version of the Bible. And I'm talking to the person who's like, no, the family proclamation to the world is doctrine. And I'm talking, I'm talking to that person, the most difficult argument to make and the materialism of Mormonism. I want to be able to talk to that person and be able to say, Hey, revisit the text again. Hey, look at the scriptures again. Cause sure. I'm not, I'm, I, if some people want to take it literally, some people want to take it metaphorically. I don't care how you take the scriptures, but I am going to argue what the scriptures say and what we can do with that. As far as the intention of the original author, that book and that argument can be made. And it's not that I don't care about it. It's that I'm talking to someone who doesn't care about it. They care about what the prophet is saying. They care about what the scriptures are saying. They care about the family proc and they want to know how do you make this fit Blair? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, we're going to have some good times doing it. What, what I love just being able to hear you uh, talk, I think is sort of uh, just a, a fun thing that I just love, right? The passion that you have for, for, for this, for the ideas of theology, for queerness, for all of these things. I could honestly just hear you talk. So Thank you for that gift, but also, um, I, 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 it's just an adventure, right? It seems like, it seems like what you have done, and hopefully I'm accurately kind of sharing this, is it's like, hey, we're going to queer Mormon land. Everybody, get in the car, put your belt on. We're gonna we're gonna have some moments where we're gonna keep our hands up in the air. We're gonna have some moments where we're hanging on really tight. We're gonna have some moments where okay, we can turn and talk to the other person. But it really is just an adventure for someone um, either looking to 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 have a greater insight of this, to find the validation that they have through this. But but really, very much something for everyone. Yeah, I would definitely agree to the idea that like we're getting in the queer Mormon car. Yeah. You're going to be a little uncomfortable at times, but I tell you by the end of it, you're going to be like, huh, maybe let's do that one more time. <laughs> um, <laughs> one more time. One exactly. more time. But that does lead me to the other critical feedback I have received, which I actually is probably the feedback I am most sympathetic to. And it's coming usually from uh queer people who have uh, left the church and are done with the church and um, don't feel any kind of positive connection left with the church. And I want to one, 100% honor those experiences. If you're a victim of conversion therapy at BYU and I'm over talking about, you know, the inherent queerness of Mormonism, that's not going to resonate with you. And that might even be painful for you. And they might even see it as like a form of gaslighting that your trauma isn't real or doesn't exist. So with that being said, one, honor that the trauma is real. Um, in honor also, I do not make the argument the church is queer inclusive. I do not make that argument at all because the church handbook explicitly has policies against the queer community still. So I'm not here to gaslight any queer people to say, hey, stay in the church, it's going to get better. I'm not here to say, hey, your experience isn't valid because you just keep experiencing trauma. 
queer members are getting excommunicated today still. They're being disciplined in different ways and shunned and rejected from callings and things like that just on account of being queer. So I do not make that argument at all. Um, I think it could be hard for some people to read the book when, um, especially if you're a queer person who's experienced a significant amount of trauma. Mm -hmm. I've been in that car too, the trauma car, the panic attacks, suicide ideation, depression, anxiety. I have been there. I've been through all that. And it is it is an awful place to be in. Um, so I can see why someone could pick this book up and be like, this book is like me being like, hey, this is what it could be like once the war is over. This could be how we end the war, you guys. Mm -hmm. And someone's like, I'm still in the foxhole getting shot at. What are you talking about? The war's not over. Yeah. And so I strongly sympathize with that feedback and that criticism. And to be like, to anyone who is reading this and love this, my book is not a weapon to hurt queer Mormons or to gaslight them out of their experiences. The trauma is real. The experiences are real. And so while I'm hopping on the fun queer Mormon roller coaster, I do not expect any other queer Mormon or Latter-day Saint to hop on that roller coaster with me. If you're like, no, I'm done with that roller coaster. And that was awful. And people are in that roller coaster throwing rocks at me. And I don't like that. And I'll be like, hey, this roller coaster is not for you. Check out. That's totally okay. I honor the experience and people who are on this roller coaster with me, please do not give my book to someone who's uh, disaffected with the church and be like, Hey, here's the way mm. that's just, that's just going to hurt them. My book is not a weapon. We don't, we don't hurt queer people with queer Mormon theology. That's not what it's there for. So um, yes, the adventure is awesome. And I'm super excited about it, but for any queer person who isn't, that's okay. Let them be excited about something else. There's so, there's so many other beautiful things in the world to be excited about. It doesn't have to be queer Mormon theology. I would be curious, having the opportunity to have spoken to literal hundreds of authors, they have reflected um, that in the process of writing their book, uh, a couple of things. One, that it's maybe the hardest thing that they've ever done. Uh, but two, they, they discover something uh, about themselves, something, uh, whether it's related to the topic and how they fit in with the topic uh, or what makes them so passionate about it, or in other cases, and maybe more applicable here, uh, something that their perspective is changed due to the writing of the book. I would like you to get personal. We're going to feel some feels here for a second. You said, that, you know, you sort of set out with an intention with the book. It came, became something else. What is something that you learned or that changed you in the process uh, of this book writing? So this may not be popular with some people, <laughs> but... Um, a couple of things happened. And one thing that happened during the book is I became weirdly sympathetic towards the clergymen of the church. And mm. I was not expecting to feel sympathy with people who have blatantly said horrible lies across a pulpit about queer people, my body, my love, who I am and what I'm about. And I very much, um, was angry. I was very angry at the beginning of this book when I started writing it. And through the process of writing it, I weirdly developed some sympathies as I tried to make this narrative work, as I tried to. And I'm a queer person, right? So mm -hmm. I have a leg up. If they're going to try and make it work, they don't, no offense, I don't think they're as well equipped to do it. Yeah. Um, but I became very sympathetic to the idea that we are a global church and these men are from a generation where their mothers didn't have the right to vote, let alone talk about, um, you know, queer people coming to the temple as them, their authentic trans selves, you know what I mean? Um, so that was one thing that kind of changed and it actually 
changed the way the book came out too. I made some edits. I took some things out that I was like, I'm going to take the most charitable position possible for these men and for the leaders of the church, the most charitable way to look at this. And I actually got in it. I got, I got critical feedback for that too. Someone <laughs> actually said, I think um, she's too compassionate and too kind to the brethren. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, there's, yeah. there's that feedback yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't expecting to have these kinds of feelings of compassion and in some ways forgiveness for some of the harmful things that were said explicitly about me as if queer people aren't in the room during general conference. Um, the second thing that changed about me that I wasn't expecting is I didn't realize I love Mormonism so much. If you I love didn't... it so much, why don't you marry it, Blair? Why I know, right? It? I want to. I want to marry Mormonism. I want to marry queerism. And through the process of writing this, I thought that I, I had some arguments in place, but as I was writing it, I was like, oh my gosh, I still believe so much of this stuff. This isn't just an academic experiment for me. This isn't just like me pushing my way through a brick wall and saying, no, these pieces will fit. By the end of the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am queer. I am Mormon. There's no way to get rid of either of these. I couldn't, I couldn't not love Mormonism, even if I didn't want to, like, I love it so much. And I feel like it comes through in the book that like, this isn't a bludgeoning of the Latter-day Saint community. This isn't, uh, you know, this is why the Mormons are wrong. This is like, no, I really, really, really love these people. I love this community. I love my theology. I love its teachings. Like, you know, people want to think of it as an either or kind of thing. And I just don't take that approach. I'm very much an and and both. I mean, I'm bisexual, right? I'm not going to pick a side, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an and and both approach to my faith, to my body, who I am, even with the way I practice um, Mormonism, like, it's, it's, it's and and both. It's non-binary. It's not something that can be easily categorized, but yet it is deeply Mormon and deeply faithful. And I realized writing this book that I don't think I'm ever not going to be not Mormon. Like I'm, I'm going to be Mormon forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I want to take another break. And when we come back, I want to talk about two critics that you have not talked about yet, as we've been talking about uh, this sort of uh, critical response to this book, whether that be positive critical or constructive critical or negative critical, however we want to couch it. Uh, we'll talk about those two critics uh, coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always send us suggestions uh, for episodes of the Cultural Hall. Email address is contact at theculturalhall.com. Uh, whether it's you, you're thinking, man, I'm interesting enough. I could do this. Let me into the hall to be able to talk. Or you're thinking, I just recently read a magazine article, a blog post, a book. You saw a movie. 
movie. You, you're you talking with your friends, and you thought, this would make a great episode of the Cultural Hall. Any and all ideas are suggested. Not all of them are done, but they're all they're all welcomed. We'll take them. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Now, these two critics, I haven't tipped my hand to Blair, uh, so she doesn't know who these two critics are. But I think that this is an important discussion to be had within this. Uh, I'm going to let you pick. Do you want what, the one in the left hand first or the one in the right hand first, Blair? Let's do the negative feedback. Oh, first. no, no, they're not there. I don't know that either of them are negative. Oh, it's just okay. two different people that I want to know what their feedback was. So okay. left or right hand? Left hand. Left hand. Okay. Husband. What did your husband think of the book? Okay, like I felt like I was like in a bishop's office here, and I'm gonna get asked this really hard question. I'm like, he's gonna th- see through into my spirit, my soul, and then I get, what does your husband think? I'm like, oh, that's, we're gonna be fine. Um, no, uh, he's great. He's very supportive of my work. He he's he's kind of done with the church, and he still very much is culturally Mormon in a sense, but he's very much moved on to other other interests for himself. And so I'm very much still in the Mormon boat. Mm -hmm. And so he's been very supportive of my work, very helpful. He's read my book, like in the process of editing it the last couple of years, like at least eight times. But um, it's funny for him and a couple other close friends, uh, they read the final copy of the book and they both kind of go, eh, not that revolutionary. And I'm like... (laughs) So funny because my friends who know me inside and out, who have hear, heard me talking about these ideas for years, they're not going to have their minds blown in the same way. And so it's just like, eh, you know, and I'm like, you are desensitized to my awesomeness and you are spoiled. Okay. <laughs> but no, he's been very supportive. He thinks it's beautifully written and you know, uh, he can't say enough good things about it other than he's like, I've been in your, Blair, I've been in your brain for 20 years. I I already know all these things. These aren't going to be new to me, but I'm sure you're going to blow some other people's minds. And I'm like, well, let's hope so. Jeez. (laughs) Uh, In my mind, I sort of hope that it would be something like this. Uh, Blair, on page 78 of your book, you make the argument and it just becomes this very like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not not stale, but very like sanitized, like very, you know, very uh, academic conversation between the two of you. On 78, you make the point that, and and you're like, no, you don't get it. And it's just this very highbrow conversation between the two of you. Thank you for indulging me. The second, so now we're going to pick the other hand. I would be curious for you to interpret this because I don't know that you can really know, or maybe you'll blow my mind and tell me that you know exactly uh, the, the critic of God. How do you feel like the... God and and you as far as this book go. I I assume he's read it, but I would be curious as to whether the there are spiritual experiences in the writing of this book or now in the publishing of this book. I I want to know the godly take on this queer Mormon theology. I love that question so much because I think one of the problems with strictly academic books, like there's no footnote for a personal testimony, right? Mm -hmm. There's no footnote for, I felt the spirit while I wrote this sentence, um, a la why this book is hard to put into a specific genre. Cause I do all those things. I do the academic argument. I do the personal experience and then the testimonial. And so, um, one, one of my friends even said, this book isn't even theology. It's one big testimony. (laughs) And I'm like, cool, label it how you want to label it. 
so far as like I say in the introduction of the book that it probably will be said without crit of course the criticism will come not without criticism that um I wrote this book very much because I feel called to write it by my heavenly parents. Um, I had this horrible and beautiful experience at the same time. Um, I, when I was going to church regularly, um, I started to have panic attacks and um, it was a very difficult and dark time for me and anxiety was at an all time high. And um, I was in gospel doctrine and some, some, someone said something that was like, really, it wasn't just passively hurtful, it was deeply hurtful towards queer members of the queer community, you know, and I left quietly, I didn't make a scene or anything, I left quietly, and I went out to my car, and um, I had a panic attack, and I'm having a panic attack in the parking lot of the church, in my car, and um, as I'm, like, trying to catch my breath, as I'm trying to breathe, it was my heavenly parent said to me, oh my goodness, I might cry. Um, my heavenly parent said to me, it's okay not to be here on Sunday anymore. You can't do the work you need to do if you can't breathe. You can't feel the spirit if you're not safe. You deserve to feel safe. You have important things to do. And it's okay if it's just not right there in that church on Sunday. And um, after that experience, I felt deeply connected and liberated. Uh, deeply connected to my heavenly parents, but deeply liberated to be able to worship to the dictates of my conscious, you know, my consciousness was trying to tell me, Blair, there's more for you out there than what you're hearing in gospel doctrine right now. Cause that wasn't truth, Blair. Mm -hmm. That wasn't it. You know, my spirit confirmed it to me. And so, um, in writing this book, I don't shy away from bearing my testimony after I give you my academic arguments and, I talk about how um, the spirit spoke to me and it told me these things. And in the scriptures we read, there's no greater witness that can be had than the witness from the spirit. And so if you don't believe these things, that's okay, but it's my personal witness. There is no greater epistemic authority than the spirit confirming to me through my body, through my heavenly parents, Blair, this is what love feels like Blair this is what truth looks like Blair this is this is what you this is your work this is what needs to be done so I feel deeply connected and deeply at peace with my heavenly parents I feel like I, I I'm not going to say I didn't make mistakes of course I committed errors in my judgment and it wasn't a perfect book and I could have said things differently and of course apparently to some critics be less compassionate to the brethren <laughs> but i feel like i put my best foot forward i did the best i could and even though there are some mistakes i feel like my heavenly parents are like good job blair you said what needed to be said and people will take from that what they need to take from that that's all you can do a, a beautiful testimony in and of itself as i was thinking i was like she's she's just bearing her testimony again you can't get away from blair's testimony she talks about it i i really appreciate uh not only you sharing that experience but also as, as i can tell that maybe you're someone that doesn't like to cry knowing that you got emotional and that we were able to share that experience that's awesome thank you so much um for for doing that i would be curious as we kind of are wrapping this whole thing out um when when you Think about this book, this, you know, th this sort of culmination of a life's experiences and, the, and that you're sharing this with everyone. You've wrapped it up in academia and also all these other things that we can't put labels on, which I think is also pretty synonymous with you, right? He can't, I mean, we can put labels on you, but it really is like, is it this and this and all these things. 
what then becomes the 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 next thing or is it the same thing continued or is it i had i picked this up and now i i set this down and pick up something else like like with something you know this big this impactful this you know culminating of all of your things it seems like i would just sit and be like well i guess i'm i guess that's it that's the that's the final hurrah no, no. In Mormonism, we have this idea called eternal progression and endure to the end. And if you listen to the hymn on Haida Kolob, there is no end. So endure to the end means endure forever. So there's never an end time where you get to put the book down and just be like, well, I'm going to check that off my list. Uh-uh, that's not what this book is about. Um, this book is actually titled Queer Mormon Theology an introduction. Mm. And the introduction is very much meant as uh, an invitation to continue to carry on the conversation, to talk about these things in gospel doctrine, to raise your hand in seminary. Um, I've got a lot of great feedback from seminary teachers who love this book. And um, it's very much an invitation to be able to start incorporating these things into our conversations. Um, at the very end of the book, uh, uh, I also include a list of 15 things that active Temple Recommend Holding members can do right now today that don't have to do with you know, picketing the, you know, church handbook or anything like that, just 15 things today that you can do right now to start being more inclusive and to start harboring a safe space to be able to have those conversations. And so this isn't a, well, good job. You read the book, um, wait around for revelation. No, 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 no. This is read the book, raise your hand, and you are a part of continuing revelation every single one of us is. It's not just the brethren. It's not just patriarchs. It's not just any single person. It's all of us working together that brings about continuing revelation. That's how it works by common consent, all of us working together. So this is definitely a first step of many steps that we're all going to take together. And some of them are going to be uncomfortable, but um, we're pioneers. We're used to uncomfortable steps. And we get to sing while we do it. We get to take uncomfortable steps and sing as we walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. Uh, I want to know one of those things. You said there's 15. Give us one, maybe your favorite thing that active uh, Latter-day Saints can do to, to be more inclusive at this point that's not running up to the conference center and, you know, standing out with a picket sign or whatever. What's something we can be right. doing? But if you do want to do that, I'll be there with you. Yeah. So there's lots of things we yeah. can do. <laughs> Um, uh, we can do that too. But no, for in the book, one of the things that I have received the most feedback on that people have been helpful is to actually include people, queer people in your queer events. So when you have a fireside talking about these difficult issues and mm. um, or a lesson about talking about these difficult issues, more often than not, it's usually led by straight cisgender people carrying on the conversation about queer people. And in order to be queer inclusive, you can actually include queer people, have queer adults and queer kids bear their testimonies, share their ideas of the scriptures and what they're thinking about. So the first step is to be queer inclusive. Just invite us to the conversation to be a part of it, because it's not just talking about us, it's talking with us. 
which I've enjoyed this morning. I've been visiting with Blair. You know, it hasn't been too long uh, since we visited with you, so I, I'll skip a couple of the questions we ask everyone. But I will ask you the, the final question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, uh, knowing that you may interpret it differently than you did, you know, six months ago when we spoke. But I would be curious to know, uh, as we sit here today and are able to discuss, what is your favorite part of your faith? Oh my goodness. It's probably still the same thing it was before. Um, but maybe I'll pick a different one. Um, one of the things I do love about our faith is a universal atonement. I love the way we look at the atonement and how it's collective and immersive. And we're all supposed to to be a part of that and reconcile together. I actually wrote an entire chapter about how much I love the atonement. Um, it's chapter three. You should definitely go read it. It will blow your mind, but I love the atonement and the idea that we can participate as members of the body of Christ with Jesus in reconciling with one another. That's awesome. Uh, Blair Rossler, and the name of the book is Queer Mormon Theology. I got to have you back in the cultural hall again uh, and just see how many different backdrops you can create for our conversations. Uh, the, they're gorgeous, every single one of them, two for two, 100, you know, 100%, five stars, all the things. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Brother Brent, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cakes Bites podcast. Why is that so hard to say? We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.